your Locked On Avalanche, your daily podcast on the Colorado Avalanche. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Avalanche fans, welcome to the Locked On Avalanche Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host, Chris Maselli, with another episode of the podcast dedicated to your Colorado Avalanche. And today we have Ryan Clark from The Athletic on the show. Many of you are familiar with Ryan, covers The Avalanche uh, exceptionally well, and unfortunately, we are about to lose him. He's heading a little bit further west to go, to go back to Seattle and cover the Seattle Kraken for The Athletic. So before he goes, reached out and said, you know, would you be willing to come on the show, kind of talk about The Avalanche, even The Kraken, NHL in general? And he said, yeah, let's do it. So that's exactly what we are going to do. Can't wait to get started with that conversation with Ryan. So before we do that, follow the show on social media outlets on Twitter, L-O-P-N underscore Avalanche on Instagram. Just search for Lockdown Avalanche and send any questions, comments, concerns, and opinions to LockdownAvalanche at gmail.com. All right. So we're going to get to Ryan here in a quick second. And yeah, we cover a wide range of topics clearly avalanche centered we talk about the seattle kraken uh he has a recent article out with mitchell miller and kind of the fallout from that and really gives a really good perspective on a lot of different things things that i don't even really think about you know the financials and things like that involving scouting some uh, certain players just players in general scouting prospects and all the money that goes into that uh, and how now, you know, a team like Coyote, the Coyotes are spent all this money to to research this player to no avail. And, you know, it's stuff like that, like why he's in, in the position that he's in and has insight uh, on stuff like that. So it's it's a, a great, great conversation him and I have. It's going to be spread out over a couple episodes. So sit down, lock yourself in, and we're going to get to Ryan Clark from The Athletic here. In a second, but first, we are going to hear from the people who brought you Built Bar. Now, have a product called Built Go, and you have a mental or physical wall that you normally hit halfway through the day after your morning coffee has worn off. Well, Built Go is the solution to breaking through that wall, whether it's a mental or physical wall, you can break through it with Built Go every day. It's an easy to take one and a half ounce package, you can put it in your briefcase, in your desk, in your golf bag, whenever it is golf season. It is the best workout gel on the market. It's five-hour energy without the same crash feeling. Plus, it's natural, so it's better for your body. It's like drinking a monster drink with a third of the caffeine and better results. It comes in three delicious flavors, peanut butter honey, chocolate coconut, and chocolate mint. Go to BuiltGo.com right now. Use the promo code LOCKED, and you get 20% off of your next order. Once again, that promo code is LOCKED. And 20% is off of your order at BuiltGo.com. <clears throat> okay. All right. So we've been waiting around long enough. I've been touting it for a few days now. And let's get to it. Ryan Clark from The Athletic joins the Lockdown Avalanche podcast. All right. So welcome back. And like I've been saying the past couple days, Ryan Clark from The Athletic is joining me today. Ryan, how's it going, sir? Good, Chris. What about yourself? Uh, I'm 
doing okay. I'm getting a little bit uh, electioned out, but uh, that's what this show is for. And we can talk some hockey. I'm sure you're probably feeling the same. Um, you know, actually, the wild part is like so. This is going to be a weird story. I know me telling a weird story. Who'd have thought? But like, <laughs> um, my background aside from journalism is in political science. Oh, so and you love so, this. Yeah. So like my wife, um, who she was pre-law, but she covered uh, political journalism. Actually, she covered um, politics for like uh, the Detroit Free Press, the Miami Herald um, and all that. And even PBS for a little bit. She and I like we watch election night. Now, like the difference is it's like the way she says I am with the game. She is with politics, except for like when she asks me questions during the game. I'm like, oh, it's this and this. I don't ask questions during politics. And she's like, well, did you know that the founding fathers on this day? And it's like, yes, I know. I know. And she's not here to defend herself. So like, of course, I'm going to throw that out there. Right, right. Uh, That's great. Well, the end is near for most people Uh, or or maybe not the way things are going. So but we are going to talk about hockey and obviously mainly the avalanche. Uh, I'd like to get into some Seattle Kraken stuff with you. Um, But first, you couple days ago released uh, a recent article about the Mitchell Miller situation um, and the aftermath and everything that's taken place with him. Um, if you haven't read it, definitely go check it out. Um, and the NHL has been criticized for, for how they've handled race related issues um, mainly for, you know, not people think like they haven't done enough in some situations. Um, and while this one is team specific, uh, I guess there's two questions. Do you th- do you think the NHL stepped in in any way with Arizona, like kind of behind the scenes, and maybe we're giving them more information in any sort of way, and or and maybe that like kind of forced the hand of Arizona renouncing him, and how much of an impact will this have going forward with teams who are you know make make them take a deeper look into a player with like a checkered past? Well, you know, let's start with that first question, and the thing is with the NHL it's hard to say what was said or done behind the scenes, but either way, the Arizona Coyotes are a franchise that are owned by Alex Morello and their team president is Javier Gutierrez. And so Alex Morello is the first Latinx owner in NHL history. And so you have a Latinx team owner, Latinx team president, and especially Javier Gutierrez, he has openly discussed how important diversity is. He was one of the people who was most vocal about this um, right around the time that this league was really going through the race conversation in full, uh, George Floyd, Matthew Dumba, the, the creation of the HDA. And so the thing is this, like this is a team that you could say better than most understands why diversity is important because of its ownership. The fact ownership has openly discussed this, but to take it a step further, it is the fact that ownership has also discussed like trying to tap into this more and more. And so there's an interview, actually, I got a chance to do with Javier Gutierrez several months in advance where, um, he talked about like how, you know, the thought is a place like Phoenix in a state like Arizona, which has a lot of Latinos. It's a place where, okay, maybe you should go after those fans. But his point was you have Latino fans in Los Angeles, Chicago, New York, Boston, Denver. Like what about those fans? So it's hard to say what the NHL has said or done because it sounds like there's an ownership group there that gets the optics of it without anyone needing to make it present to them. Now, Mm -hmm. as far as the second part of this, in the sense of like, what have teams learned? Excuse me, that's going to be the interesting conversation because there are some sources I got a chance to speak to about this same thing as well. 
And the thing is, is teams take a uniform approach in the sense that they're always looking to get more information on kids, but everybody does them differently. Like there are some teams that, you know, they, yes, they talk to the standard people, the player, the coach, the player's parents, their billet parents, um, people around them, but then they'll go the extra mile and say, let's go talk to the equipment manager because the equipment manager is going to be able to say, this is the sort of person who, if he leaves his shoulder pads on the ground, he will pick up his shoulder pads or he expects that equipment manager and his staff or her staff to go clean it up. And it's the same thing when they talk to the athletic trainers, like, is this the kid that says, I just need treatment and leaves it at that? Or is it a please? Thank you. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, sir. No, ma'am. But then there's other teams that do things too. Like they have psychologists look at a profile that a player fills out and says, here's why this may work. Here's why, here's why it might not work. Here's where there's some things in the middle. So teams are doing it. It's just, it's the question of, are teams going to start doing things like background checks using something like Lexus Nexus to know about who these kids are? Because while for some people that might sound a little bit cold and calculated, at the end of the day, you are making an investment in this kid, even if the player himself does not end up in the NHL or AHL. It's still the idea, and I'll say this and be quiet. Let's take the Avalanche, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, they have a development staff. So let's take someone like Jean-Yan Filetro, who is their goaltending development coach. Jean-Yan Filetro, in let's say the last two to three years, has flown to Finland. He's flown to Russia, he's flown to Canada, and he's flown to Sweden as well, and the Czech Republic when you include Petr Kavachka. Like, those are five goalies between Shmiel Shmakov, Yusuf Sununen, Kavachka, Adam Werner, and Trent Minor alone. Hmm. Those plane tickets cost money. Right. The, 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 the hotels, the food, the travel, like, these are things, including the salary of Fiatro himself. They cost money. And so if you're a team making this kind of investment, whether it's a first round or a seventh rounder, like there's a financial element involved and you can't, can't, can't afford to leave a stone unturned when who knows what's going to happen. And it's like one executive said, you know, this week as well, like the big fear that executives in every sport has is you draft a kid, you think you've done all the homework. But then a tweet from 2016 resurfaces right. and the hope is let it be something like, Hey, I grew up a predators fan and I can't stand the avalanche and, 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 and you end up getting drafted by the abs and it's a laugh right. as opposed to something. Did this person say something about uh, women, about minorities, about the poor LGBTQ plus, like those are the things that GMs are, are worried about because they think they've done the research. And sometimes you just, you never know. Well, there's so much information out there now, you know, sometimes there's something bound to slip through the cracks, I guess. And I I don't know if it did with him. I I just, I wonder how much the Arizona Coyotes maybe just felt what they did was enough and it really wasn't going to have a long-term effect. And I think it just maybe just completely backfired in their face. Well, you know, the hard part about that, Chris, is it all depends upon who who you talk to. You know, there's some, we're going to say that this story with him was out there for a while, that once it started really making waves in scouting circles, people started having this discussion in greater detail. And then there are going to be others who say the story got out, but there are certain details that really changed it. And it's not to say that those people are like, okay, bullying is something that you completely ignore, but what changed the, what changes the dynamic completely is it is the racism component. 
it is the fact that this was a child with special needs. Like that changes a lot of things for teams. And so it's led to these questions of when you start hearing things about kids, yes, you ask them and you take them at face value, but like, what more do you do from there? And who's to say that what happens here may not have an impact going forward. So if you're the Coyotes, knowing what you know now, is this one of those situations where you call the victim and his family, Isaiah Meyer Crothers, and say, we're looking at Mitchell Miller. Do you feel right. he is deserving of this? Maybe they say yes, maybe say no. It sounds like they would definitely say no at this point. Mm-hmm. But even just talking to a USHL general manager over the past weekend for the story in The Athletic, that GM said, look, you would want to check with Isaiah and his family. And if they're cool with it, it would allow us to go down the path of further considering it. But if they're not, then it would be a non-starter. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a great article, and it really gets into kind of the path he he if he has one to try to you know salvage some sort of a career um and maybe fight his way back into the nhl if it's at all possible so <laughs> excuse me definitely go check that out um gearing it towards the avalanche kind of the 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 big story coming out of the the avalanche franchise is the story with colin wilson and his self-penned article with the players tribune <clears throat> um that you know during the season that was one of the more perplexing things on you know what what is going on with Colin Wilson and you got the old lower body injury which is why he only played nine games and some of that is true according to his article with the the hip surgery needing to be redone but it obviously goes deeper than that um were you aware of anything like this going on in Colin Wilson's life it was a surprise to, I think, a lot of the people who read it just because, you know, look, at the end of the day, um, you can talk to players all you want and get to know them. But what people choose to share is their own private business. Sure. And with someone like Colin, I mean, he's someone who you meet him in the dressing room. He definitely answers questions. He's more of a quiet personality. But like even through this, like there were a couple times that you would see him at like Pepsi Center he'd make the effort, of course, to always say hello, always friendly. But it's one of those things where you just never know what someone is going through until they speak up about it. But, you know, the thing I think a lot of people learned about Colin Wilson, you know, during the 2018-19 Stanley Cup playoffs was like, this is a man who has really worked to find himself. There was a story we had in The Athletic about how he's really looked at different forms of spirituality, whether it be Christianity, Buddhism, Taoism. Uh, Islam. He's read these different texts and it's just kind of allowed him to have this greater sense of understanding. Now that said, I mean, you definitely know that he is someone who he thinks about a lot of things and that's not even just an observation, just even from those closest to him, guys in that dressing room have all said that, but to see what he was able to write about and discuss, it's a subject that made it very real for people. And it's one of those conversations where we talk so much about mental health not just among athletes, but people in every walk of life, every facet of life, it's become more of a mainstream discussion compared to maybe what it was 10 or 15, even 20 years ago. And so when you're seeing someone like Colin Wilson step to the forefront and, and, and take this on much in the same way we've seen Robin Leonard do it, the way that we've seen Corey Hirsch, Theron Fleury, like retired players do the same, you know, it's something that more and more people are plotting because Fans are starting, you know, to, to say to the athletes, like, hey, look, we understand that we ask you to give so much of yourself that sometimes, like, it could be residual problems from that or 
maybe it's something that has nothing to do with the game they play. It could just be something in their personal lives or maybe it's related to the game, but it's a different facet of the game itself. But either way, it seems like athletes now more than ever, people want to get to know them and humanize with them. And when you look at what Colin Wilson said, it was just another example of that. And the fact that like he was willing to talk about it and be that raw, open and honest and to see the response to it. You know, that's the thing is, is it's a let's a man like him know that like, this is something that he has people in his corner beyond his immediate friends and family. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that, that's what, what I do outside of this show. Uh, my, my day job is a drug and alcohol counselor. So, oh, wow. yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I see it every day and, you know, people who have a, a substance abuse problem and mental health problems, they're really good at hiding it. Um, and, and they will let you, they will only show you what they want you to show, to show you. And, uh, you know, if, when they're ready to come out with it is when the healing process begins. And I think by him coming out with it this way, and like you said, like he, he the, the feedback has been overwhelmingly supportive of him. And that is just goes in, into his healing process in dealing with this. Now he has a whole family of people that he can turn to if he's, if he's dealing with anything. So, um, yeah, I thought, I thought, I mean, it, it, it seemed like it shocked everybody. It came out of nowhere. Um, and then you just start thinking back like, Oh man, like, yeah. So it was more than just an injury. It was something much deeper than that. And that just humanizes athletes more in my opinion. Well, it's not only that, but I mean, to go back to where you just talked about with Mitchell Miller, one of the points that people have raised is, you know, look, when you look at athletes, they are viewed as role models for a lot of people. And like, when you look at what someone like Robin Leonard has done to talk about mental health, Mm. like it is, he has become someone who more and more people have gotten to know. And not only that, but respect his story, his honesty and how open he was. And, you know, you look at Colin Wilson and who's to say what impact this might have on someone else going forward, just because, you know, and I feel really kind of awkward saying this to you of all people, because this is your expertise, but just from what you hear, from what you read and what you hear from conversations with people, it seems like admission is probably the hardest part to seeking help. And to be open about that means to be vulnerable and to be vulnerable means you're opening yourself up to all sorts of things. It's the idea that for every person who says, Hey, I'm glad you're opening up about this and I'm glad you did it there might be that cruel person who says something completely different that no one should be saying or thinking. So to, to do that, to say what he said and do what he did, I mean, it's something that like, yeah, it's probably going to help someone out there who goes, you know, if he was able to be upfront and open about it in the most public of ways, why not myself with just my friends and family and sure. going from there? Yeah. Uh, it's another incredible read. If you haven't read that one yet, definitely uh, check out his, uh, his article on the Players Tribune for that. Um, all right. So moving into Joe Sackick and kind of talking about his role specifically as a GM, are, are you, cause a lot of times when players move into these roles, they don't do so well, <laughs> you know, they, they've had some, you know, and, and, you know, John Elway has done well. I mean, they're struggling now. I mean, you can you can list the players that go into front office gigs and struggle. Some have, you know, a, a good year or two. But, you know, once Joe Sackick 
it seems like once he started putting this team together, are you surprised how much success he's had in hitting all the right buttons and predominantly doing it? Don't what you say like through the draft? I mean, more of his draft picks, first round draft picks anyway, have been successful than than really unsuccessful. And he's yeah, he's made some trades, but he doesn't make the he doesn't make that that trade to kind of like change the dynamic of the team overnight. You know, he, you know, he, he do the trade with, right. With Toronto um, to get Kadri. And then the two deals that he made this off season, it seems like he makes those deals that improve the team, but he doesn't need to go make that superstar move because he's got the superstar. Well, the thing is this, it goes back to really the Matt to Shane trade. People talk about it, of course, because of the hall, the avalanche received in return. But, like, it was one of those things that maybe it let everybody get more insight into what Joe Sackick is as a general manager, which is someone who's been extremely patient. And that's what we've seen ever since. Yeah. Like, he's the first person, and you even talk to people in the front office, like, they will tell you they're aware of what the outside world says about the Avalanche being a cup contender, but they're the first ones to admit that's fine, well, and good. We'll cross that bridge when we get to it, if we get to it, because they are, they're overall pragmatists. And and just when you look at when Sackick first took the job, I mean, it was just, it was a lot of questions just because you had this arrangement with him, Greg Sherman, Patrick Waugh, where it's just kind of like, those are three personalities who they do things, but it's just kind of like, okay, what's the best direction? Of course, Sherman eventually leaves. Patrick Waugh is eventually dismissed. And then it makes Sackett kind of the clear vision, the clear voice of where this franchise is going. But then, like, you see that from top down. So let's take someone like Craig Billington. When I've ever I've done an interview with Craig Billington, it's always one of those things. And it's not done out of fear. It's done out of respect where he's just like, you know, look, I look at what we're doing with the Eagles. And it's Joe's vision. It's this. It's that. Um, when you look at someone like Chris McFarland. You know, he's been very, he's a very interesting person to talk to on background about a lot of things, but he's like, no, the way we are orchestrated is like, we will have meetings where it will be Craig, myself and Joe, and we'll have conversations at the end of the day. It's still Joe's call because he's the general manager, but like everybody has an equal voice. It's kind of like the British government in the system of primus inter pares, where it's like first among equals in a lot of different ways. And so with that being said, like you've not only seen that sort of buy-in from his lieutenants, you're seeing it from Jared Bednar, you're seeing it from players, prospects, like even down to their families. Like you talk to, you know, people like Gary Laura McCarr, Scott and Laura Bauer, Shane Bauer's parents, um, you know, Dan and Sam Timmons, Connor Timmons parents. And like, these are all people who like, they get the buy-in, they understand what it means. And like what you're seeing is results that people think over the next seven to 10 years makes this the next great long-term contender. But again, it goes back to not only patience, but getting everybody to buy into that patience, but more importantly, like helping people understand development is not a monolithic concept. It happens at different times for everyone. And here's the way we'll end it. So, and this is a point that's been made before, but you look at the NHL compared to other leagues. And let's take someone like Tyson Jost. Yes, we turned 22 in March, but yes, he's 22. If Tyson Jost is a 22-year-old in the NFL, there is the understanding 
he's not the finished product. Even Patrick Mahomes needed a year on the bench in Kansas City before he became what he became. If you're a 22-year-old in Major League Baseball, unless you're a Ronald Acuna or Juan Soto or Mike Trout or Bryce Harper, like 22-year-olds don't often figure it out. Like even Steven Strasburg and Max Scherzer needed time to figure it out at 22. If you're in the NBA, again, unless you are LeBron James, who's averaging 20 points as an 18, 19-year-old, it takes time. I mean, look, Kobe needed some seasons to figure it out as well. What did you say Nathan McKinnon did? Nathan McKinnon needed a few years. That's what I was about to get to. It's like for every (laughs) Connor McDavid who at 18 you look at and goes, okay, yeah, sure, we get it. There's a Nathan McKinnon who his first season you look at and you go, okay, I can see some shades. But then those next few seasons you're just like, I don't know. And then you look (laughs) at Nathan McKinnon now and you're just like, we know nothing about development other than (laughs) – it takes time and everybody hits a certain mark at different times. Like, again, we all look at Kale McCarr, like Kale McCarr finished in the top 10 in scoring. Like people knew he was good coming out of UMass. <laughs> right. But to do that and yeah. he still missed time. Right. Who's to say he's not higher up the chart. So again, it's different for everybody. Yeah. And you're right. You're right. I mean, people see the the Connor McDavid's and they're like, well, why can't he do that? Why can't he replicate that? And that's just completely not fair. Um, so that said, here's a funny story. So there was a day, um, Nikki Jabvala, who, of course, she now covers the, the Redskins for the Washington Post. She's one of my best friends. She was sharing a story about a Broncos practice one day, how the linebackers coach was like, okay, Vaughn, do this. Now, why can't you guys like do this like Vaughn? And she's like, because he's Vaughn Miller. <laughs> Like, like there's very few people in the NFL who can do what Von right. Miller does. If they could, everybody be doing it. Exactly. So, and, and you know, and, and talking about youth and prospects, two of the guys that you always hear from or hear about in Avalanche circles are Bowen Byram and Alex Newhook. And just based on where they were picked uh, for, for Byram, Newhook was what, 16 or 17? 16. 16. But a, a season is in the books. And do you get the impression that Newhook is kind of overtaking Byram maybe in like where if you would rank your prospects for the avalanche? Uh, and you just feel like he because of the season he had in college, not that not that Byram is, is, is you know, he's going to be, I think, a, a great player for the avalanche. But I do just feel like Newhook kind of like took over this 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 the vibe of we can't wait for him to get here. It's hard to say because I mean, some of it was just, it came back to the growth you saw in each of them and not only just the growth, but just the circumstances around that growth. So with Bo and Byram, the expectation was he was going to challenge for a roster spot out of camp. Of course he gets sent back to Vancouver, whereas if Alex Newhook, he was going to BC. So that was made clear from the jump. Whereas if you look at how the season went, Bowen Byron makes Team Canada. He wins a gold. Alex Newhook doesn't make Team Canada. But BC, before the season was canceled, BC was one of the best programs in America that had a legit shot of winning a national championship, which made people go, okay, you look at Newhook, and if he's done this as a freshman, what could he do with an extra year of experience? Whereas if you look at this current point, until the Devon Tate's trade, the thought was, <laughs> hey, maybe this is the time Bowen Byram has this window. And now you're looking at the Devon Tate's trade and you're going, they could hypothetically keep him. 
maybe work his way into his development as a seventh defenseman. But then it's a question of what is the best route of development for him? Like, is it really going back to the WHL where, I mean, look, you saw what he did in February and now right. people are going to say, well, look at the first two thirds of that season. He struggled, but it's like everybody keeps saying in and around that organization, he was someone who was disappointed by the fact that he did not make the team. And then mm-hmm. he goes back to Vancouver where the thought is we were really close to going to the Memorial cup last year. We can do it again this year. Except for that roster had changed. They made some trades. The app sat Bowen down and said, Hey, look, go back to having fun. Don't really worry about the rest of this. And he was the dominant figure. Everybody saw Whereas with Alex Newhook, Alex Newhook realistically is probably going to sign after his sophomore year if his current projection continues at this pace. Right. So that's just it. It's it's the idea that you know one guy is going to take two years. And with the other guy, it's kind of like, well, does he take a year? Does he take two years? But again, it just it all goes back to not only how the depth chart looks, but it goes back to what they've learned about development. And that's just the interesting thing is when you jump back to like what they did with Kale McCarr, you know, after year one the thought was, hey, they want Kale McCarr. But the idea was, hey, McCarr felt like he needed to work on some things. And you talked to Greg Carville at UMass and Carville was serious about when he said, look, there would be times after practices, not that, you know, we're super physical or, 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 or grueling with our practices, but like it would be close, like 45 minutes in and Kale was already getting gassed. So he wow. worked on his conditioning and you look at McCarr now, I mean, it's going to reach a point where they're going to be playing him 22 to 23 minutes a night. It's probably going to start next season right. based off of what we saw in the postseason. So again, it's just like development is so different because like with McCarr, like it, this thing that he said that really stuck out is he was like, you know, I need to learn how to play more, not play more physical, but get stronger and get bigger because he can play physical, but he's like, it's getting stronger and getting bigger. So I can compete with guys like Eric Foley at Providence. Eric Foley is like six foot one ninety. Which like okay, that's sizable, but like the way he talks about Eric Foley, you think this guy's six three, one ninety five, and so again, it's just it's a difference because everybody develops differently. And with right. college versus junior, like junior, you have physiques, but with college, with the weightlifting programs, with the amount of like things that are invested into that, like that's one of those selling points is the physical maturity. So it just it takes time. Right. Yeah. Hope that makes point. sense. No, it does. That's a very good point. All right, and that is where we're going to pause it for today, and we will get into part two tomorrow where Ryan and I discuss the financial situation with the Avalanche and the flat cap and Nathan McKinnon and him saying he would take less money. Is he serious serious about that? So, uh, so much more that Ryan and I get to, and uh, that will be part two on tomorrow's show. So definitely tune in to that. But for this one, thanks to you everybody for tuning in today. Greatly appreciated as always. This is your first time listening. Welcome. Long time listener. Thank you for listening each and every day. It's greatly, greatly appreciated. So uh, we'll see everybody tomorrow for part two of our conversation with Ryan Clark from the athletic until then definitely check out locked on NHL for any new news stories going on around the league and definitely check it out on Thursdays when Adam Denker from Locked On Lightning and I host, which is always fun. So that's going to be it for today, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. Make sure to tune in tomorrow. Part two will be released. 
Have a good day. Here's Jovi. Go, Abs, go.